For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Holy Spirit prompts the Apostle Paul to continue on with rules for Christian living. He now turns his attention from marriage to the wider context of relationships between parents and their children and bosses and their employees. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Home and the Workplace. Alrighty, it's time to get into the last and sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. So we are making our way. We're almost done. Got a couple of sermons to go. Uh, today, we are uh, looking at the relationships between children and their parents and parents toward their children and employers toward their employees and the other way around as well, as Paul gives us through the Holy Spirit commands to live by. All right, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, uh, Heavenly Father, we just we regard your word as life itself. Lord, that you taught us that we can't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is our life. It shows us the way to live, the straight and narrow way that leads to life, and even though few there are who find it. We want to find that this morning, Lord, and be blessed by hearing these truths familiar, Lord, in one way, and uh, help us to see them with new insight today. Put them into practice and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm wondering if anyone remembers this classic children's book. It's called Toodles the Train. I've got a picture for you. Toodle. The dream. From 1945, so, you know, a couple generations uh, have been through this book. I remember Sweetbriar Elementary School, second grade with the crackers and the milk and the banky and toodles. <laughs> uh, and growing up as a parent to my children, there wasn't a train story uh, that didn't get read in our household, especially if it had a moral uh, and significant uh, lesson. And this one has a doozy, a great life truth. Um, now, if you missed out on the tale of Toodle, um, let me just uh, catch you up, all right? A baby train, uh, he wants to grow up and become a flyer. Now, a flyer was those impressive steam-powered locomotives that could fly, as it were, from Chicago to New York in impressive record speeds. And so uh, that was his ambition in life. The trouble was it took practically the whole town, the mayor and uh, everybody in the town to help Toodles uh, to convince him that, and here's the tagline in the book, a train needs to stay on the rails no matter what. And that is the refrain that you hear throughout the book. Now, for a short time, uh, Toodles buys into the lie that life can be found off the tracks. Now, he got excited and he wanted to race a horse, but in order to do that, he had to get in the meadow with him. You know, there's a picture of that, you know. And he wanted to chase butterflies because they're beautiful. But you know what? If meadows and racing in them are, it's fine if you've got hooves. Uh, and chasing butterflies, and butterflies can fly if they have wings. But if you're made to stay on the tracks, then uh, you need to stay on track. Uh, you know, there's a word for it when you leave the tracks. That's called a train wreck. And so, <laughs> right, so it, it, it's what happens when the trains don't stay on the rails no matter what. So, yeah, trains were not made to run on grass. Um, they're staying on the rails only that way Toodles, Toodle could be blessed. So in the end, Toodle 
gets the message, right? He's there at the end, and you know how he gets the message? Through many tears, because, you know, train wrecks do that to you. You know, he's off in the meadow, and they, the townspeople said, hey, there's one thing Toodle hates the most, and it's red flags. So red flags are, you know, that red flag to a train, like Toodle said, you've got to stop. And Toodle never wanted to stop. And so they said, just red flag the guy. You know, so everybody's red flagging. And look at his face. He's really sad because that's not where trains belong. <laughs> so trains belong where they're supposed to be, on the rails. And so uh, stick to the design, stay on the rails, enjoy life. And there was a green flag waving over at the rails. And so at the end of the book, Toodle is, is tutoring, <laughs> Toodle's tutoring uh, the younger trains in, in the ways of staying on the rails no matter what. Now, thank you for that. In this morning's text, the tracks are laid out, the rails for our lives are laid out before us so that Christians could avoid a wreck, to shipwreck their life or a train wreck, however you want to put it. But God's truth and God's commands are seen as the rails on which a good life runs. We're in the book of Proverbs uh, we're studying verse by verse midweek services. We are already into chapter five and already over and over and over again, it says, listen, keep to the path. Don't stray off course. Stay on that road that leads to life and honor and prosperity and blessing. And that road is always trusting God with all your heart, keeping his commands, doing life the way the creator designed life to happen because he knows how you're designed, and he knows how you work best. And so the Proverbs is just replete with disaster scenarios that await those who uh, jump the tracks and stray from course and also fill us in with all the marvelous blessings. So six times, by the way, God gives us in the book of Deuteronomy the reasons for the commands, the reasons he outlines Christian rails for us uh, and it's this, so that it might go well with you. Six times you'll find that tagline in the book of Deuteronomy, the law, after he gives all the commands and instructions for a believer's life, he says that it might go well with you, that it might go well with you, that it might go well with you. Do this, don't do that, that it might go well with you, that it might go well with you. Do this, make sure you do that. This is a command, that it might go well with you. It's his heart for us. Here's the way that leads to life. Stay on it no matter what. Even if, even if, stay on it and you'll be blessed. Now, to bring us up to where we are in Ephesians, Ephesians last half of chapter five and the first part of where we are in Ephesians chapter six, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul is laying the tracks for Christian relationships, relationships which Christians will inevitably find themselves in. So wives, here's the rails for wives, Christian wives. Here are the whale, the, the whales. <laughs> there they go. <laughs> Here are the rails for husbands, right? Christian husbands, so that it might go well with you, that you might have a good marriage. Then he's going to turn now. He's staying in the home, but he's going with Christian father and mothers and Christian children in the home. And he addresses both of them. And he says, here are the tracks. Here are the tracks. That might go well with you. And then he's going to turn finally to, uh, we'll call them Christian bosses and Christian employees. The, the, the context, of course, is masters and slaves or servants. And so... We're going to take a look at that, but they, they each, every, every part of the relationship, whether we're in this relationship for a while or we, we serve in this role, subjecting ourselves or exercising authority, there are Christian tracks to guide us in our everyday lives. And so we're going to pick up, we, we covered the wife, we covered the husband, and now we're still in the home, we're going to go to mom and dad and the children. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. This is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So we're going to pause there and deal with moms and dads and children, the household, before we go to the workplace. Now, interesting to me that the home and the relationships in the home and the workplace and the relationships in the workplace is pretty important because we spend most of our time in these two places, and they are two areas that will either make or break you if you handle them improperly. If you (laughs) go off the rails, you are going to have problems in the home or at the workplace. And so we're going to take a look at that now and see as he starts here, here with children obeying your parents. So, uh, note takers, precepts for the home, you know, a word for Christian children and a word for believing uh, parents. Now, as we've seen uh, from chapters five, from chapter five, uh, Paul's talking about new precepts for new people. Uh, we were in the world, we were not believers. And then we became believers by trusting Christ. We opened our hearts. And what non-Christians don't understand is that a supernatural transaction happened to us. Is that we got born again. Uh, we thought we were just going to, you know, get religion or do things differently. Little did we know we would open our hearts and that a living spirit called the Holy Spirit would come in and breathe life, a new life. It's us, but... It's connected to Christ, and that's why it's everlasting life, because Christ's life will never die. His spirit can never end, and so we we walk into eternal life that way. So Paul's been trying to teach us what's consistent with that new birth, behaviors, the tracks, individually, and now in the relationships, which, as I've said, we inevitably inevitably find ourselves into. So we've learned a little bit as we dive in now, but a couple of things we've learned is in life, there are many, many positions of either authority or positions of subjecting ourselves to that authority. Every layer of everyone's life has it, right? And so for God, when Christians come into these positions on either end, God, we recognize that God is the one who delegated that authority. And as Christians in those positions, we have moral obligations to either exercise that God-given authority that comes from him, right, properly, or to respond and subject ourselves with our Christian virtues to that authority. And so we we saw that in the roles uh, given Uh, with wives and with husbands. And so that husbands exercise authority with love and a servant's heart and humility. And wives come under and they respect. And we have, I spent a whole hour on that one verse, ladies. So if you need to listen to the podcast, you you missed that one, it's available. And, and, And so before we are husbands and wives and children and parents and bosses and employees. We're Christians. We're Christians. And he expects us to live out our moral transformation in these kinds of relationships and do it on the rails as he has uh, described. So whether you're in the, the, the position of authority or you're in the position of following, and clearly the kids are in the position of following. So it's time to talk to minors now in the home uh, called children. Now, in Jewish thought, the, the child became a man at 13. But still, you know, they were considered uh, children, uh, but also becoming a woman at 12 in Jewish thought. In Roman life, it was 14. And in Greek life, it was more like our culture at 18. Now, there's a simple command. <laughs> Or parents think it's simple, right? It, it, it may not be that simple, uh, but there's a simple command given to children in the Christian home. And then there are three reasons to uh, comply. So let's take a look first at the simple command. All right, the simple command uh, is a word, 
kuo. It means to hear under, all right? So when you say to somebody, you're not listening to me, you didn't listen to me, that, that's exactly the word because it implies listening and doing, listening and following through. And so that's the word that's given there. And, you know, kids are told to their Christian parents uh, to have unswerving obedience. Uh, it's a comprehensive in scope, you know. So now, of course, there are exemptions. As with all roles that would have the Christian come under, and there are many, employees, citizens, we're all under today, right? Uh, uh, wives to their husbands to yield, right? The exemption all categories to subject oneself as a Christian, there's only one exception, and that would be abuse or evil or sin. Uh, if, for example, just a couple months ago, talking about kids following their parents uh, and submitting and obeying, there's a woman caught on a surveillance uh, camera who's teaching her little one to lift wallets out of ladies' purses, right? And so you see the whole thing. You see her coaching and, and helping her and training her to do the dirty work to lift the purse, lift the little purse out of the bag, you see, so God does not expect uh, children to obey in that scenario. What if uh, the teenager is, has a non-Christian father and the, and, the, and the non-Christian father says, I forbid you to love Christ. I, forgive, I forbid you to walk as a Christian. Well, you, you know, he who loves father or mother greater than me is not worthy of me. So number one, Always, in all our relationships, we cannot sin against God. He holds greater sway than mom and dad, son or daughter, or employer, or president, when it comes to serving him and not doing evil, you see. But in everything else, uh, we have to serve, as, serve and submit as unto the Lord. In the Lord there, it's the tagline. It's a little different than the other positions of uh, subjection. Like so to the wife, she, she is encouraged to come under the husband and yield to his servant leadership as unto the Lord. Right, And so the employee is going to be told, the servant is going to be told, you need to bring yourself under the subjection of your master's authority as you would to the Lord. This is the same understanding of telling us, Christians, all of us, you do not subject yourself because you feel like it or you want to or you agree with their politics or you have your cut and paste reasons. Well, if they do this, then I'll do that. No, the only exemption you get is if it's evil. That's it, or sin. Everything else is as unto the Lord. Well, I don't think she's worthy, or I don't think he deserves it. No, I'm sorry. As unto the Lord. You see, past the position to God in it, and you give yourself over to what he wants as unto him. So in the Lord has a meaning that we are talking about a Christian family who, the, and the best model of all, is that the parents are submitted in obedience to the Lord. So what a greater model for the kids to do it. So he's saying as the whole family is in the Lord, under God, submitting to his commands, so to you children as unto the Lord, in the Lord, uh, submit to mom and dad. Three reasons. Number one, it's the right thing to do. I love this one. He just says, it's right. Now, apart from commands, it's the right thing to do. It's the natural thing to do. It's the common sense thing to do. It's the logical thing. That's what it means. If there were no God, it's just the right thing to do. Because who do you have in this life like your mother and your father? Who loves you like that? Who invests in you like that? Who has a vested interest for looking out for you in a perfect world? We're talking about normal, healthy people here, right? And so even in places like India, where there's this, this percent of one billion people have Christian uh, beliefs, 
And in China, where another billion people, this percent of that one billion people know about the Bible. And yet, they put to, to Western civilization with our Christian heritage and our knowledge of the commandments, they don't even have that. And they put us to shame in how they respect their parents and obey them. Why is that? It's the right thing to do. And even in a fallen world, you can't get the right thing out of a person's consciousness. A human being just knows. That's right. Of course you would. They gave us life. The world can figure it out. They gave us life. They wiped our little snotty noses. Sorry. <laughs> you know, they wiped our little noses and, and, and did other things. <laughs> and, and, and they put up with our shenanigans and they cried with us and they laughed with us. And they, of course, we're going to listen to them. Of course, it's the right thing to do. And, and, and even beyond that, he says, it's, it, you obey your parents not just because it's right but because it's biblical. It's made the top 10, right? It's number five of 10. Now, the Jews, the Jews had it right. The Jews took the two tablets and said, five here, five here. Number five is on the side of honor, uh, duty to God. The second tablet is duty to one another, duty to man, Right? They got it right. Christian scholars throughout the centuries have a lopsided version of, the, of it. They put one through four on the first tab that says, here's our duty to God, because one through four is God, 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 right? So as soon as we mention honor mom and dad, the Christian scholars throughout the centuries just put it on the next one because they're mom and dad, it's this way. The Jews got it right, and so did God because he got it five and five, Anybody knows, five goes on this tablet and five goes on this one. And a long story short is, God says, duty to me, duty to your mom and dad is duty to me. That is an important thing. And Jesus talks all about it uh, in uh, the gospels. And so, you know, some people can say to the question, why well, do I have to do this? And, you know, who liked when mom and dad said, because I said so, right? We didn't like that, right? But guess what God gets to do? <laughs> why do I got to do that? Why do I have to be nice to somebody who's not nice to me? And the Lord can just say, because I said so. I'm the Lord. You know, where were you when I was making the world? You know, Mr. Smarty Pants, as, as he asked Job, by the way. In chapters 38 to 42, Job was gone again in an attitude. This is not in my note, by the way. <laughs> Surprise. And the, uh, chapters 38 to 42, Job is like, mm, you know, and a little this and a little that. And the Lord spotted a little bad attitude. So he says, sit yourself down, the Lord, speaking to Job. Brace yourself. I'll talk to you like a man. You ready? Question number one. Where were you when I was creating the universe? Uh, maybe you could have stopped by and give me some advice, you know. <laughs> I really like that, you know. And God gets an attitude with other people. Not when he starts to question me like that. And the third reason uh, is it's the beneficial thing to do. It's, of course, it's the beneficial thing to do because it's right, A, and right is always going to be best, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts, even if it's against your natural inclination. When you do the right thing, even though something bad's going to happen if I do this the right thing, or something uncomfortable, or something inconvenient, you're going to be blessed ultimately. And because it's written, because God said so, of course, it's because we know the heart of it that it might go well with you. So here's the benefit. He says, uh, he, and he pulls it straight out. Now, he says, which of the commands of the, listen to me, folks, 613 Old Testament commands, which of them is pulled out and underscored and tagged to a promise? Only one. Now, Pastor Ross, you just said, that it's used six times in Deuteronomy. It is after general uh, exhortations to all the commands. 
So, and when he gets done with saying, these are the commandments, right? Then he says, Do, obey them that it may go well with you. There's not one isolated command that says, hey, if you do this one, here's a promise. Except commandment number five. Why does he do that? Oh, well, there's, there's a great quote here. The idea here is when respect for God-given authority is learned as a child, it will come easier as an adult. And so, for example, when you learn how to submit to authority, that there's a wrong way, there's a right way, that you associate as a young child with pain and wrongdoing and right and reward and respect for mom and dad who kind of are the stand-in, really, for delegated authority from God. When you get that in your little uh, delicate fibers and the, where the jello hasn't set yet, the concrete isn't formed yet, and you get submission, you get respect, you get right and wrong there, you're going to have, and, and it's not a guarantee for numerical length of life, when God speaks like this, he's talking about enhancement of quality of life. You see, he's saying, listen, you're not going to have to worry. Who ends their life early with diseases and, and drunk driving and drug addiction and criminality? And who, who, those are people who did not learn the lesson. They do not have an enriched life. They could live out 90 years, but it's in a penitentiary, you know, because why? They never learned how to respect mom and dad and the, and the, the primer or the primer, as it were, for all later respect and righteousness and submitting and reverence starts with mom and dad. That's why out of 613 uh, commandments, he Pulls that one and says, boy, if you get this, you're going to have a rich life. Why? Because you get it in four, five, and six. Raise up a child in the way it should go. In the end, it's going to be hard for him to get out of it. It's not impossible. But he's going to have those lessons of fearing God, doing the right thing, and he's going to be blessed. So it's beneficial. Let's talk about the parents, all right? Now, interesting to me, and your text is right there staring at you. Yeah, he's just now been talking about obedience to parents, right? So that implies parental authority. But look at this. He, he's not going to start by telling parents um, to exercise authority. He's going to start by telling them to restrain, how to use authority lovingly. That's what he's going to do. Because everybody's temptation in the gospel, Jesus talks a lot about it. He says, I do not want you Christians to be like people in the world. When they get any smidgen of, uh, of um, authority, it goes to their head. And they start lording it over people. They just start to, it goes to their head. And they start bossing people around, being rude, being unkind, and using the authority for their own purposes. He says, oh, Christians, you can't be like that. And dad, you're going to have a lot of power. In fact, nobody had power like the Roman father. Oh, there's a word for it in Latin. Patria potestas, the power of a father. Oh, if dad lost his temper, you're dead. He, he could just give you the capital offense right there. The, just, he, he had the power. And, and so the Holy Spirit is saying, Dad, you have the power, but I want you to exercise it as the, one, the, the Son of God had power. What did the Son of God have power? The Son of God comes to bring life, to nurture, to be kind and patient. What did Jesus say of himself? Here's God in a human body describing himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Learn from me. Follow my example, Dad. I am gentle and humble in heart. Said the most powerful man, of course, he's the God man ever. And how Jesus exercises his authority is to get down on his hands and knees and wash dirty feet. He says, I didn't come to use my power. Serve me, serve me, serve me. It's all about me. 
He said, I use my power to serve others, to empower others, to lift them up. It's all about them. And so that's a theme here with dad. And he says, don't provoke your kids to anger. Now, what does that mean? Exasperate, to instigate by your over-harsh ways, uh, resentment and anger and bitterness in them. Use your authority to encourage and build up, not to keep tearing down and to discourage them. A child's heart is delicate, and don't misuse your authority. You know, your God-given purpose will backfire, because you're not exercising your authority with a humble, loving spirit. What are some ways parents might uh, provoke their children to uh, anger or bitterness, as Colossians chapter 3 puts it, bitterness? And by the way, moms are included here, because moms were included in the last sentence. So fathers represents fathers and mothers as well. Uh, here are some ways you could exasperate your kids to just be having irritating, unreasonable demands. Think about what you're asking sometimes. It's just unreasonable. And if it's unreasonable of a, of a demand, um, they're never going to be able to accomplish it. And if they're not going to be able to accomplish it, they're going to get discouraged. And they're going to feel bad. And they've let that down again because you're setting the bar too high. That's one way to, well, I just expect a lot. You know what? <laughs> How does God treat you, sir? How does God, your father, you are his child, how does he treat you? Does he come around and say, go higher? Uh, you know, does he come and check you out with your, a bunch of your A's and your B's and you got one C? Does it, is it the spirit of Jesus to, to, to say to you, sir, what's up with the C? Dad, did you see my A's? Did you see my B's? What's up with the C? Yeah, I see that. I know that. You're capable of that. That I know. But what's up with the C? You're provoking this kid to resentment. You're letting him down instead of building him up. Because Christ doesn't deal with you that way. You want to deal with your kid the way you want God to deal with you. That might change some things. Or the dad that just, or the mom who's living vicariously through the kid. You're provoking them to bitterness. They, newsflash, they want their own lives. They really want their own lives. They don't mind being your kid. They love you. But they really want to do what they want to do. Oh, uh, the first thing I told my boys, and you'll see why I didn't tell it to Jordan, about pastoring. I want you guys to do what you want to do. Pastoring's a calling. You'll know, and everybody else will know. So you don't, you guys do, do not think. What are you, Zach already, from eight years old, I want to be an engineer. What does an engineer do again, Dad? <laughs> you know, he didn't even know what it was. But I told him once about an engineer because he took everything apart. He'd take everything apart, put it back together again. And I said, son, I think you're going to be an engineer. And he turned out to be one, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and so don't do that. Do not live through them. There are other ways, too. Rules, rules, rules without relationship. Have your rules, but be, uh, be present. Go out for ice cream. Take the miniature golfing. Do fun things. Read Hop on Pop. Come home and dress up funny. You know, if you can do that, you can have rules because you've got to invest in relationship first and then bring the rules out. But if there are no funds in the affection meter... Right? You're asking when you bring out the rule, you're asking for a withdrawal and you're going to find insufficient funds because you have had insufficient fun. Oh, that's good. I didn't even practice that one. <laughs> oh, you guys spoil me. You're, you're just right on cue. You go ahead and applaud. I mean, I would sit there and go, I'm not applauding for that. And anyway. Can I just spend a little more, give you one more uh, thing? Yeah, one more. Yeah, I told you about this. In Petaluma, we were playing tennis, me and my buddy, and we heard a dad, and he was throwing the ball to his son, and his son is swinging and missing, swinging and missing. Oh, he tore him from limb to limb. 
all the sarcasm and the hum I was humiliated. Oh, and I was brought back to my childhood. I was just like, and Troy, who I was playing tennis with, Troy wanted to go over and talk to him. And I said, Troy, dude, you're a big guy. You're going to be intimidating when he goes, yeah, I know. And he, <laughs> and he goes over there and he's just kind of walking like this, you know, and he goes, sir, can I talk to you for a moment? You know, I'm like, Troy, don't do <laughs> And he said, sir, oh, you're reminding me of my dad and me. And I just want to tell you from my point of view, growing up under all of that pressure, I don't, I don't love my father like I should. And I struggle with that because he was so demeaning to me. And the guy listened to him. You know, I thought there was going to be an altercation, but, you know. You know, I don't recommend that. I feel like the Lord, you know, he has moments where he softens people's hearts and he prompts things. You know, I wouldn't recommend we bud into other people's businesses like that. Um, but it, it had a happy ending there. So what happens when you do that? You, 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 you set them up for failure. You get angry guy. You turn him loose in society. He just, he's angry. He's been robbed of love and nurture. He's upset. He, he's mad. It was unfair. There was no sympathy for him. And now he's going to have no sympathy on us, all of us. He's going to take our cars when we're not looking. <laughs> you know, he's going to smash our windows because he's mad. Who's he mad at? He's mad at you, Dad. Now, not always, right? I mean, we got free will, and some, some, there have some, been some heinous criminals that come from excellent families. So you can't, there's just no, <laughs> no science to this. It's a little bit of uh, guesswork involved as well. But, and then the young ladies who have to look for dad's attention in all the wrong places. And so conversely, nothing helps to create well-adjusted, healthy adults like positive encouragement, loving, understanding uh, parents. I, I think I read one thing and said, listen, parents, these are little people. They belong to God, not you. You didn't create them. You helped, right? You were involved, right? But you didn't knit them together in their mother's womb. They don't belong to you. They've been entrusted to you. You're stewarding somebody else's little person who's going to be an adult and live forever in God's kingdom for God. Act accordingly. Now, instead of harsh, loveless environment, bring them up. Beautiful word there in verse four. Uh, bring them up. Uh, it means to nurture tenderly, right? And so John Calvin put it, let them be fondly cherished, deal gently with them, uh, rear them tenderly. Another commentator wrote, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said of all of this, I love him. The medical doctor was also a Bible scholar. He said, if parents but gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they did to their pets and to their gardens, the situation would be very different, you know. We love our pets. We love our gardens. We're pretty patient with both of them, right? Uh, I learned this the hard way. The Holy Spirit smacked me upside in the head once so the kids are little. You know, one morning I was thinking about this passage and uh, Wally, our golden retriever, so cute puppy. He came out. He had his bowl in his mouth because he wanted water. You know, I'm like, oh, Wally, Wally, what's the water? You know, and I go in and get him the water. And I, hey, boy, you know, and I'm roughing him up. Oh, you, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. And then he rolled over and scratched his tummy, scratched his tummy. And the foot's going like this, you know, and, and just showing him all this love and affection. I'm on him, you know, and all of this. He's got some water. And then he wanted me to throw the ball, throw the ball. You know, it's like, okay, I'll throw the ball. So I've interacted with him, I've praised him, I've, I've, I've fed him water, I've refreshed him, I got him all excited, and then one of my kids walked by, it's morning time, right? One of my kids walked by, and I'm like, hey, Zach, what's up? You get it? All of that for Wally. All the affirmation, the scratchings on the tummins, I wouldn't do that to Zach. <laughs> Well, I might have back then. 
All of that. Make sure the water balls fit. Oh, did I? He heard his name a hundred times. Wally, Wally, good Wally, 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 Wally. Oh, so good. Oh, affection, 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 affection. You need some water. You want to play? Ball, 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 ball. Hey, Zach. A human being made in the image of God who looks like you, who God gave you to, to do the exact same thing you just did a Wally, only with a human being to make a difference. Amen. Okay, moving on. I think you've got it. You had that look on your face. So uh, (laughs) affirming strengths, this side of the the coin, uh, encouraging weaknesses, providing everything they need, uh, warm, warm, grace, friendly, affection, all of that. Now, here we go with the second side of it. There's cheerleader on one side of the parenting coin and disciplinarian on the other side of the coin. Now, not exasperating children, listen up parents, does not mean we don't discipline them or don't make some decisions or calls that might upset the precious little darlings, all right? Now, the opposite of wrong discipline is not the absence of discipline, it's right discipline, and here we're gonna see what it means. Two similar words are used, uh, training here, and admonition, as the King James has it. Uh, it says, training and instruction of the Lord. The first word, training, uh, is a word to discipline, to correct mistakes, uh, to cultivate uh, moral excellence. Got it? All right. The second word uh, means to warn. It's the stronger of the corrector words. All right. In other words, you are to warn uh, with force. All right. They're, they should feel something in the disobedient act that helps them remember this is not profitable for me and I'm not going to do it anymore because I associate the pain or the suffering with the chastisement. So those are the two words. They're pretty strong, uh, but they're not without love. And listen, they're because of love. Now, your job, parent, is yes, to be the cheerleader and be friend in a friendly kind of way, right? But not to be their friend. That's not your first job. Your first job really is to teach them to know right from wrong, to serve the Lord. And, and when they come to the age of accountability, that they have faith, that they enter the world with, with a respect for God, on, as far as you can do, right? And, and, and a knowledge of right and wrong and all of that. How they feel about you, and listen up, mom and dad, how they feel about you in that process of your primary task, how that affects your relationship is of secondary importance to God. He did not put you there to worship that kid and to worship the little bridge of your relationship and put that first. That's not first. And so what we have in permissive parenting is, oh, God forbid I ever hear them say, I hate you, or to slam a door, say, I I wish you weren't my mom and dad. I'm sorry, God says. That will have to go secondary. And I'm sorry you have to hear that, but sometimes you're going to have to stand up to them. And you're going to say things and do things and put the rails in places that they want to go over here. And they're not going to be happy when you say, well, then you can't do this or you can't do that. Or you'll have to forfeit this or that. This is what the Bible says. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Proverbs 19. And here's a stronger one. It involves corporal punishment, but it's in the Bible. It's not my idea. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I could do a whole seminar on what spanking is and what it's not and how and how not and all of that. That's not the point here. The point is, catch the spirit. God's saying, it's the opposite of love to let them get away with murder. In fact, in God's eyes, it's hate. You don't care enough 
to put your relationship at risk or the way they're going to look at you someday. And their image is your golden calf. Their image of you and the words they speak to you and the peace in the home and the image and all of that has become a greater importance and an idol to you rather than to do the hard work of telling little Johnny, no, you can't stay out past midnight. Why not? I hate living here. It's like a prison. Yeah, you'll be home. You'll be home at 10 o'clock. You know? Well, the parents who don't... Listen, let me just say one thing. My parents, everyone, all my friends in my high school loved my parents. My parents were the most coolest, hippest parents in the entire town. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Oh, I wish I had Ross's parents because they were so permissive. They didn't care at all. And in my heart, I was not thankful. Now looking back, I was not thankful. I was sad. I was lonely. I knew it was because they didn't love me. They didn't care. I was dying for them to reach into my life and save me from me. I knew that then as an unregenerated, immoral, heartless teenager. I knew this is their, they are weak-willed and immoral people. They would throw and host keggers at our high school, they're all underage. Nobody should be drinking. They all had cars. They'd come up to the house. Oh, man, to high-fiving my mom and dad. And I would be there embarrassed, even though I was drinking with all of them and partying and saying, aren't my, my parents cool? I'm going to tell you, mom and dad, right now what I was truly thinking. I was, in, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I wanted my mom and dad to be moral and stand up to this mom and dad. Somebody's going to get drunk and it might be me with the keys and go out. And I did. I drove drunk from those parties with my parents' blessings. You are not helping them. And I didn't respect them. That's the funny thing. They were thinking, oh, see, see everybody loves us except the ones <laughs> you were raising who expected you to, to do something. You're the adult. <laughs> Save me, Mom. Save me, Dad. Care about me. Let me slam the door. Let me cuss at you if you're doing the right thing. To stop me. Instead, I, they were plodding and patting me on the back as I, as I went to hell in a handbasket. That's the way he says. The Proverbs say, when you spare your child from negative discipline, you hate them. That's a word from God. It's not my interpretation. I'm quoting. He says, that's hate, not love. We better go to the workplace rather quickly. <laughs> Here we go. We're at work. <laughs> and it goes faster. No worries. <laughs> Slaves. Let's call them employees. Because it fits perfectly. It, it will fit perfectly. I'll talk about slavery, but just it fits hand in glove. It's the same thing. Well, depending on your job, <laughs> right? <laughs> Slaves obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear. Fear bears reverence. And with singleness of heart in the Greek, sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Wow. Obey them not just when they're watching you to win their favor, when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ. You're not working for them. You're working for him. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Three times now. Not them, the Lord. Not men, because you know from the Lord you will receive, or that the Lord will Reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. So we've moved outside the home to the workplace. Now, 
in the Roman world, as much of the ancient world, uh, slavery was just the way it was. It was a reality, a sad one for the most part, though things were picking up in Rome for slaves and slavery. There were new laws on the books uh, when Paul was writing to the Ephesians about mistreatment of slaves, but still, it was a bad deal. In fact, the Bible, first of all, before we dive in, the Bible never condoned slavery. God did not institute it. He instituted lots of things. Show me in the Bible where it says he instituted slavery. Oh, unbeliever who always says, well, the Bible is pro-slavery. No, it's not. It's pro-reality of life, and it, the Bible exists, the gospel, to tell Christians how to live in social structures that already exist. And God is going to go at removing slavery from the inside through, listen, through changed hearts. That's the gospel. Change the hearts, change the life. And from within, then change lives, change the world. You see, so people are all messed up with what the Bible says. God instituted marriage. He instituted baptism. He instituted the Lord's Supper. He never instituted slavery. He's talking to people, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, one third of the population, right? But it was a way of life. It was the household domestic help, and it was also uh, the manual, the workforce, and, uh, for example, there could be teachers and doctors and lawyers who were actually slaves. And so he's saying, listen, let's talk about this relationship because this is how life right now works. He's not saying it's good. He's not saying it's bad. He's saying it is what it is. Let's Christianize. Let's go in and be salt and light in these various uh, structures, right? So... Uh, that said, here's what the Lord expected the servants to do. And since we're done, um, by the way, slavery no longer exists in this country. Why? From the gospel. It's the gospel that inspired. It's people who feared God and saw the equality and that, that the blood of Jesus makes everybody equal, right? And the dignity of all souls, right? That was the gospel. The gospel is the liberator, now, he says to you, and since we're not talking about slavery, let's talk about the workplace environment, right? So here we go. Uh, employees, that said, here's what he wants. Number one, he's saying, obey them, do your job well, show proper respect and reverence to your supervisors, to your boss, to the dorm assistant, to the CHP officer, to the store manager. Does it ever stop? Does it just ever stop to the president? There's just all these layers. But here, once again, he's saying, why is it any different when you enter a job? I want you to come under the same way you come under everything else in the world, right? And so he says, um, show them proper respect and reverence from your heart, sincerely, as you would Christ. So here's the deal. Here's the deal with this first thought. Is, is that there's no such thing as situational ethics in the Bible. What that means is, depending on the situation, you do this or you don't do that, right? You don't get that choice with the Bible. You're supposed to be a Christian 24-7 in whatever situation you're called to be in. So whether you're at work or whether you're in a marriage and whether you happen to be the husband or whether you happen to be the wife or whether you happen to be driving down the freeway, whatever situation you're in, your Christian virtues are to be employed 24-7. There, there's no reason you can go from here, get in the car, turn on your radio, and forget about all of this. You go in the car, you turn on your radio, and you're on the clock because you're serving God in your life who doesn't have a distinction between sacred and secular. He's got you 24-7. And so we just go into our job and we turned off because we're at a secular employer, right? And they serve beer and wine here, so they're bad or whatever it is. I've heard all kinds of things. Like it doesn't count because God's not interested. I'm just making minimum wage or whatever. My boss is a jerk. So, so suddenly you're okay to not live as a Christian? Just tell me, when is it ever okay? 
When is it ever okay for you not to be a Christian? When? You have to be a Christian all the time at your job. And so the, what God's asking is, how are you making me look? You are my ambassador. You represent me. How you do your job, how you talk in the break room, your attitude toward the supervisors and the coworkers. Do the coworkers hear your name and roll their eyes with a painful sigh? How about your boss when he's talking to some other dude about you and your work ethic or your punctuality? How do you represent me, God says? Are you making the gospel attractive by how you bust the dishes, treat your clients, or do your job? This is what he's saying. With all your heart, do your job. Well, what if it, with all your heart, single focus, reverence to the one who's telling you what to do? Well, he didn't say it very nice. Who cares? It has no bearing you have to be a right-on Christian all the time, 24-7. 24-7, that's what he's saying. A dedicated Christian is a dedicated employee. Hard work, respectful, obedient, helpful, loyal, trustworthy, morally pure, honest, integrity. And he says, when people are watching you, you turn it on. Oh, how nice, Christian. You turn it on because they're watching you. How about keeping it on the whole time you're at work when they're not watching? So when they're not watching, oh, I can go shopping on Amazon or I could take a longer break because the boss isn't in here. What kind of Christianity is that? He says you can't do it because people are watching you. You do it because that's who you are. If the Holy Spirit is transforming your character, that's the kind of person you are. In the dark, in the light, at work, or on the moon, wherever you find yourself. If you're an astronaut, come on, you might end up there someday. And so when you're at a job you don't like, when you're on a vacation you love, when you're with your friends you enjoy or with a coworker who irritates you to no end. Your response is to live as a Christian and to honor Christ and to work at your job as if Jesus were your boss. Period. Maybe less talk about Jesus while you're on the clock and more hard work, respect, reverence to authority, sincerity of heart, some attitude adjustments, and wholehearted service would be in call for. Now, um, can I brag about our pastoral intern who we just hired? He left, uh, one of his jobs was Pete's on Mendo. And I went in there, and uh, they know me, and I said something like, hey, did you hear? And she goes, yeah, I heard. She says, you're the one who did this, didn't you? She's mad at me. And I said, yeah, I did. I offered Daniel a job. And yeah, he's taking it. And, and she's mad. Why is she mad? Because she's losing a good employee. And that's what she let me know. I'm losing a good employee, thanks to you, right? Well, that was the greatest compliment, right? That's a compliment. How many people, you know, you've left a job and... They had a party. <laughs> and it wasn't to say goodbye, um, unfortunately. Yeah, come on, we represent him. The other reason is, he says, I'll reward you. Listen up. I know it's a little long. Hold on, I'm almost done. I'm like, the plane's like in its final approach. <laughs> I will reward my servants for whatever faithful service they do. Listen, at work or not, listen. I don't know when it is we think that we're going to go before God and God's going to evaluate us, which he says he's going to. Romans 14 says you stand before God as a Christian and he evaluates your works, right? Somehow we think he's going to evaluate some weird hours of the day, but he's actually going to evaluate how you did your job today or tomorrow. That's part of the deal. And so uh, there's a reward coming. You want that uh, uh, reward to go well. 
Uh, Jesus and Paul are not uh, shy about talking about the reward that's coming. Uh, let me show you here, Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do you know how large that clause is? Think of something you do that doesn't fall under that. <laughs> Pretty impossible, right? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not your boss, not your husband, not your wife, not your teacher. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So he has for Christians a reward or lack thereof based on what? Faithfulness in the home? Faithfulness to the tracks? In relationship with husband and wife, parents and children, employers and employees. That's what he's saying. It's there for you. So finally, a word to the bosses, the so-called lucky boss who has it easy, uh, which I don't agree with. But three principles here. The first one, he just sums up and he says, uh, treat them in the same reverent manner. Christian boss, number one, if you want respect, show them respect. If you want uh, to, them to serve your best interest, then serve theirs. Uh, you expect a good attitude, how about yours? That's what he's saying to the Christian boss. Now, the boss isn't superior like he is uh, as a Christian that he or she can just dispense with the very courtesies uh, they're expecting, right? So God's just saying the same reverence and hard work as unto the Lord that I want them to do as they come under and serve you, boss, I want you, boss, to have the mutual respect, mutual fear of God, mutual love and uh, goodwill for them. Uh, secondly, he says, don't resort to threatening. Bosses who threaten are nothing like Jesus. Jesus leads us in love. He doesn't drive us in fear. You know, you can get your pyramids built with fear and threats, you know, but at the first uh, second they get, they're going to escape, right? And so you're not going to build a good company uh, that way. And so he's really saying, really, uh, is this how Jesus treats you? He doesn't threaten you. He doesn't threaten you. He leads you in love. Uh, bosses are supposed to, well, you know, make it a fun place to be. How about a mental health day once in a while? And just say, hey, everybody, it's a great day outside. Just do your work, get it done, get out of here and enjoy it. You know, or, or, or being generous or bonuses or remember birthdays or giving people shaking their hands and looking at them in the eye and treating them like they're not just there to be your slave but they are human uh, beings. And just give them livable wages as well, you know? So uh, don't resort to threatening. Um, and then lastly here, he says, I love this line. He says, you boss, don't, you know, watch your behavior. You just you get Mr. Bossy and run, rule the roost like that. Just remember that you have a boss and he's in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. What does he mean by that? I love this. He's saying, listen, boss, there is nobody to review you because you're the boss, right? And you have a lot of favor in your position. In other words, people say nice things about you, and they're not going to criticize you because they have a vested in interest in how you would respond to that. So there's favoritism there for the boss because he's the boss, right? So he's saying, you may not have an eval here on earth, but let me assure you, I'm watching you. I'm your boss. I'm your master. I'm the master. And there is no favoritism with me. In other words, you think God, sir, is intimidated by your grand position? The, the Lord isn't going to be, well, now I'm afraid I'm going to have to tell you a few negative things. Oh, no. You know, the Lord is saying there's no favoritism with me. I'm going to judge you by the measure you judge your own employees. Furthermore, I'm going to judge you by my own rails that I gave you to be to use your Christian authority in ways that reflect the character and nature of God and the gospel. That's what, and he's going to write you up. And you know, listen, 
And some Christians are going to get this. Well done, good and faithful servant. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, some Christians will not. You will get into heaven. You will not get any reward or accolades. Why? Because you went through life off the rails. You were saved. It was by grace. You trusted the Lord. But you were unfaithful. You relapsed. You did this. You treated people badly. You broke up a marriage. You're not getting a reward. You think he's going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant? You were a nightmare to employers. You were trouble at church. You were trouble in the marriage. But you were saved. And there are a lot of those people. And they're going to heaven. But they're not getting the reward they could have had they been faithful. That's what he's saying there. Watch it, everybody. Because there's a day coming. You stand before it. He's got everything there. And he's going to say, hey, good. Not so good. Good. And you keep the good. You'll be rewarded. But everybody in this room wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So we have to keep to the tracks in our marriages, in our homes, and in the workplace. He's just lined it up. Do these things. Stay on the rails no matter what, and you'll be blessed. That it go well with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love. We look to you. You're the only one to keep us on the tracks, Lord. We can't keep ourselves on the track if our life depended on it. But you can prompt us and guide us and give us the grace that we need. Now we look to you at the close of the service, Lord, just to seal these truths in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.